0: Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast. This week, we're going to have another look at the risk of recession. Over the last 18 months, there has been much talk of recession globally, and of course, more recently in Australia. But despite mild technical recessions, which you might define as two consecutive quarters of falling GDP in a row in the US and Europe in the last 18 months, although I think the one in Europe has been revised away to some degree, growth has generally been more resilient than expected. And now with inflation falling, many have started to give up on recession forecasts with increasing talk of something like Goldilocks. That's where things are not too hot and not too cold. Or in economic terms where growth is okay and inflation is falling. So have we dodged the recession bullet? The basic argument for a recession is that the most rapid monetary tightening in major countries in decades and cost of living pressures have set the scene for a recession. This is supported by various signs that precede recessions. For example, the US yield curve, that's the gap between long-term interest rates and short-term interest rates, started to invert with short-term interest rates rising above long-term rates last year. And this has preceded all US recessions over the last six. Leading economic indicators, which combine things like building permits and confidence, for example, are at levels that often precede recessions. Monetary conditions, as measured by bank lending standards, have tightened significantly, particularly in Europe and the US, and this normally leads to a collapse in lending, which invariably is associated with recession. And in Australia, a record level of household debt servicing costs to income add to the local risk of recession, which we put at 50%. But after predicting four of the last two recessions in Australia, one of which, of course, was the pandemic recession, which flowed from lockdowns, so shouldn't really count. And seeing lots of incorrect forecasts of global doom over the years, I'm all too aware of recession calls turning out to be wrong, which partly explains my reluctance at this point to go beyond a 50-50 call in terms of the risk of recession for Australia. Of course, if the economic indicators worsen, then I'll have to change that view. But right now, it's about 50% risk of recession. So I guess the big question is, can recession still be avoided? The first point to note is that things like yield curves and economic indicators can get it wrong at times in forecasting recession. Yield curves, for example, have several issues. The lag from yield curve inversion in the US can be up to 18 months, various versions of it, first inverted between July last year and January this year. So just a bit of maths tells you that if you allow for normal lags, a recession in the US may not eventuate until next year. So I guess you can argue from that just because it hasn't happened so far doesn't mean it's not going to happen. More positively though, US yield curve inversions have given false signals in the past, for example, in 1998. In other words, they're not always accurate. In fact, a model produced by the US Federal Reserve in New York, uh, which puts the risk of recession at around 70% or thereabouts, obviously based on the yield curve, does in that sense allow for some risk that it may not happen because it's only at 70% risk. Although I don't think it's really quite that high yet if you allow for a range of other indicators. Inverted yield curves historically have also been a poor indicator of recession since 1991 in Australia. And right now, the yield curve is not decisive inverted anyway. I think some measures are, some aren't, but it's all Just around zero. We've seen that on several occasions in the last 30 years and recession did not eventuate. There are in fact several ways a recession might still be averted. Firstly, inflation could fall fast, taking pressure off interest rates and central banks. This could occur in several ways. Easing goods supply pressures and transport costs could continue to reduce goods inflation as has already been occurring. Falling job vacancies and an easing and reopening demand could take pressure off wages and services inflation. And productivity could surge as artificial intelligence. Intelligence is deployed in services industries, and that could boost the productive potential of the economy and hence supply, obviously putting downwards pressure on inflation. In other words, today's unemployment levels could turn out to be consistent with What some economists might see as full employment and only a marginal cooling in demand may be necessary to return labour and product markets to balance. And so central banks may soon be able to move towards lowering interest rates. Recently, the news on this front has been good. US inflation has fallen from a peak of 9% to around 3% and Australian inflation has fallen from around 8% to 6%. And this has occurred without a rise in unemployment. Our US and Australian pipeline inflation indicators continue to point down. However, there are several reasons to be cautious here. Firstly, services price inflation may prove to be a bit sticky, as in some countries, wages growth is still picking up. This is clearly a risk in Australia, with a faster rise in minimum and award wages this year, resulting in a renewed surge in labour costs in the latest National Australia Bank business survey. Secondly, artificial intelligence will take years to enhance productivity growth, so yes, there might be good news on the way on that front, but as we've seen it with much in the way of technological innovation, it takes time to show up. Thirdly, this scenario assumes that central banks can fine-tune the economic cycle. Now, the Reserve Bank has done this well in the post-1991 period, but the Fed not so well. This is made hard by lags in the way monetary policy impacts the economy, which risks central banks raising rates too much. In other words, going too far and knocking us into recession. Having lost credibility last year, assuming that inflation was transitory, central banks are likely. to now err on the side of caution to make sure the inflation dragon is well and truly back in its cave before easing up on interest rates. And of course, this time around in Australia, RBA tightening has been faster than in any time since the 1980s, and the household debt-to-income ratio is three times higher today than it was in 1989. But fortunately, there are also other ways recession may be avoided. So the second point is that there is a lack of excess to unwind. Recessions are normally preceded by imbalances in economies that are unwound and lead to a sharp fall in economic activity. For example, in the US, prior to the tech wreck, there was an investment boom, and prior to the GFC, there was a boom in home building. Of course, they had to be unwound, accentuating the economic downturn and giving us recessions. However, this time around, beyond the problem with inflation, there are little in the way of similar excesses. There has been no business investment boom. There has been no home building boom and housing vacancy rates in Australia and the US are very low. Household debt has fallen from its pre-GFC high in the US, that is, and inventory to sales ratios are very low. So given the absence of excess or imbalances, recession may be avoided, or if not, it's likely to be mild. And I'm referring here to the US. It's a similar story in Australia with the exception that household debt to income ratios are nearly double US levels, leaving the Australian household sector as an obvious increased source of recession risk here, particularly with household debt servicing costs now pushing around record levels as a share of household income. Thirdly, households still have pandemic savings buffers. Now, of course, through the pandemic, people were constrained from spending, but most still received an income. The result was that household savings rates rose above normal levels, resulting in excess savings. In Australia, it has been run down, but remote, high at around $230 billion or so. So this is the level or the stock of savings that exists in the economy relative to what would have happened if people had been spending normally through the pandemic years. My concern, of course, though, has been and remains that stock of excess savings or pandemic savings is not distributed equally. And that for many 25 to 45-year-old households with high debt levels, it has been run down such that it's no longer of any support at all in the face of the surge in interest payments. And of course, that younger demographic, they're the that adjust their spending substantially through the course of the economic cycle and are far more responsive to changes in their free cash flow. For older households, they are unlikely, they probably still have decent buffers, but they're unlikely to use much of it for spending anyway. It's been locked away into their retirement savings or alternatively, they just don't adjust their spending much anyway. And I can, I can attest to that. Older people tend to be a lot more stable in terms of their spending relative to the income they're getting. Of course, if their income drops completely, then it's a big issue. But uh, for the most part, their spending is relatively stable and less sensitive. Nevertheless, one might point out that an average level, those savings buffers, do provide a source of support for households that weren't around prior to past downturns, even though I'm a bit sceptical about how well they are distributed through the economy. The fourth point is that we could have rolling sectoral recessions. Different sectors of the economy are impacted at different times by shocks, like tighter monetary policy. So various sectors of the economy may have recessions, but at different times such that the overall economy never actually contracts. Something like this happened through the 1990s and the 2000s, to varying degrees, providing support for the view at the time that the economy was characterized by micro instability, in other words, volatility at a sectoral and firm level, but overall macro stability, and hence, of course, milder economic cycles. So maybe we could have something like that again. In fact, in the US in this cycle, home building and technology and more recently manufacturing have arguably already had recessions, but they are now starting to find a flaw to some degree. So if consumer spending on services turns down, it may be offset by an improvement in home building, technology and manufacturing. Similarly, in Australia. Home building and retailing have been in recession for a while now and conceivably could start to recover as consumer spending on services tops out. So far so good but the risk is high that currently weaker sectors don't recover in time to offset weakness in lagging sectors like services. Finally, strong population growth, and I'm here of course referring to Australia and you could also argue maybe the same in Canada, may mask a traditional recession. Strong population growth boosts demand and hence GDP growth and could enable a recession as defined as a fall in conventionally measured GDP to be avoided. In this regard, it's notable that while both the Australian government and the Reserve Bank are forecasting positive GDP growth for this financial year, year on a year average basis of around 1.5% from the government and 1% from the RBA respectively. This is expected to be below the rate of population growth, which they're forecasting to be roughly around 1.7% or more, which means that both are forecasting what you call a per capita or per person recession. But this is masked by strong population growth. So if you measure it on a per person basis, we go backwards, but because the population is growing, the overall economy keeps growing. Of course, what matters for living standards is per capita GDP growth, but arguably for for investors, overall growth is more important as this is what will drive company profits. So what's the bottom line? Each of these five considerations has qualifications, but together they suggest that recession could still be avoided. But it's still a very high risk, with the lagged impact of rate hikes still feeding through, particularly in Australia, where we put the risk of recession at 50%, given the vulnerability of the Australian household sector with their high debt levels. Weak growth in China is also adding to the risk of recession. But what if growth is too strong? Of course, the the flip side is that we get too much of a good thing. Growth takes off again before inflation has fallen back to earth. This would be a problem as it would likely mean a further fall in unemployment and so even tighter jobs markets, more upwards pressure on wages growth, higher for longer inflation and central banks keeping interest rates higher for longer or even raising them further. To the point where recession comes anyway. This has been concerning investment markets in the last week or so. And of course, uh, markets have been somewhat volatile in the last week, but uh, one of the concerns was that bond yields are on the rise again, and that in turn puts some pressure on share markets as higher bond yields make investment in shares look less attractive. That backup in bond yields has been made worse by Japan taking another mini-step towards removing its ultra-easy monetary policy, and that occurred a couple of weeks ago now, and allowing a further rise in its bond yields, which in time may reduce Japanese investments in US and global bonds, and therefore resulting in higher bond yields globally. And of course, we saw Fitch, which is a US ratings agency, well, it's a global ratings agency, in fact, downgrade US debt which has refocused attention on the US's high level of public debt and worsening budget deficit. But while recession could still be avoided, a rebound in global and especially Australian growth seems, I think, pretty unlikely until after central banks at least start cutting interest rates. So that's that's a risk, but I think it's an unlikely risk. The more likely scenario is that things Um, Yes, we may avoid recession, but things could still remain weak for a while, yet I don't see a rebound anytime soon. So what are the implications of all this for investors? Bottom line is, yes, we could avoid a recession, but the risk is very, very high. We remain of the view that shares will do okay on a 12-month horizon, but the risk around recession and higher bond yields mean that share market volatility will remain high, particularly as we go through the seasonally weak August, September into October period. And within that period, I think there is a high risk of a correction. So I hope that's been of some value. Until next time, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favorite streaming platform.